Will you uh, pray with me? Father, as we open a new look at a new book of the Bible, there's always so much we want to do. There's always so much before us, and we'll never, never plumb the depths of what you've given us. And there's such beauty in what we'll read and look through today. I pray that you will do the work that only you could do to make that beauty come out. Let us see the truth of your word. Let us be challenged. Let us be encouraged. Let us magnify you. God, none of us are worthy of your word. None of us are worthy of your gospel. None of us has it all together. And my prayer is that this day you will do what only you can do to magnify your name and fill us with your spirit and bless your word as it goes forth to your people. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, I want you to imagine yourself, and you can decide whether this is hard or not, imagine yourself living in a city where there are all sorts of people from all sorts of places, with all sorts of backgrounds, and all sorts of belief systems. Hard so far, right? Imagine that in this city there is pressure on you and on others to accept whatever belief system anyone suggests. Imagine that as a Christian... You are pressured by your neighbors to, sure, have whatever religion that you want, but don't assume you know the ultimate final answer. Is that hard to imagine for you? Or does that feel familiar? Well, the funny thing is, I'm talking here about a group of people who lived around 1,955 years ago around the year 60 A.D. in the city of Colossae. You see, those Christians in that ancient city faced a world very similar to ours. How would they live? What should they do with the pressures of the culture around them? Is Jesus really supreme and sufficient? Now, I think you know our situation right here is very similar in the 21st century. There are people who live around us who would tell us that we should accept any belief system as if they're all equally valid. We live around people who would love to convince us that Jesus might have been a great man or even a little divine, but they would not believe Jesus to be the one and only Son of God. That's all around us, right? They certainly, the people around us, would not want us to call Jesus the only all-sufficient Savior of anyone who's saved. They don't like that concept. And they would completely oppose us believing that the standards of morality taught in the Bible are binding for all people everywhere. They wouldn't think that would be acceptable. That's our world That was the world of the Colossians. And since our world and that of the Colossians have so much in common, we should be grateful that God gave us in his word a letter focused on living in a place like ours. That letter of Paul to the Colossians. And over the next several weeks, Lord willing, we will dive deep 
into this wonderful little book and see how it is that God calls his people to survive a hostile world full of multiple belief systems. And through it all, if God will allow, we will see the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ and we'll see something of the glory of the gospel. Now this morning, we've got the first eight verses of this book. And we're going to watch as Paul opens his communication to the Colossians. And we're going to enjoy a very sweet, very meaningful set of words of greeting. In fact, I like to call this sermon Greetings and Gospel. Because that's what it is. There are going to be three points for those of you who are note takers. Well, at least for the one of you who's a note taker. Three points. I'm not singling Kelly out. Uh, Oh, sorry. Three points. Greetings in gospel. The first point that we're going to get to is this. Hear the voice of God in his word. Hear the voice of God in his word. So here we go. Colossians 1, 1 to 3. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, again, some of you here are techie and some of you aren't, right? But all of you, or most all of us, do email. And when you open an email, there's a couple things you notice before you really dig into the note. For example, you will notice right away from whom the note is sent, right? I mean, do you open an email without looking to see who it's from? Not often, right? And if you are sharing an email account with another person, especially, you will look to see to whom the note is addressed, because I don't really need to read a note that's aimed at my wife or vice versa. But whatever I see in the from and the to field helps me to know how to deal with what's in the note. And during the days of the writing of New Testament letters, they began often in the way that we think about our emails. They tell you who wrote them and to whom they were addressed. And that's what we see, the from and the to fields right here in the opening verses of the book of Colossians. And you might think to yourself, oh, there can't be much to learn in the addressing of a letter. I can tell you, you could be surprised with how much there is to see right here in the opening of this book. Verse 1 opens with the phrase, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what we're reading in Colossians is a letter written by Paul. He is the same Paul you see serving as the great missionary of the early church in the book of Acts. And Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. That means that Paul is someone who has been authorized by Christ Jesus to go forth and carry a message on Jesus' behalf and, this is important, with Jesus' authority. And Paul didn't do anything to earn this distinction for himself. His apostleship, he's an apostle not because he was a good guy. He's He's an apostle by the will of God. God chose him. So again, how did Paul become an apostle? What was that like? He was, of course, chosen by God. Back in his younger years, Paul, also called Saul, was a Pharisee. He was a Jewish religious student. And man, he was brilliant. He was well-trained. His teacher was Gamaliel. He was a big, important dude. And Paul, Saul, 
hated Christians. He believed that the followers of Jesus were perverting the the pure Jewish religion and that those followers needed to be stopped at all costs. And Paul even participated in an act of mob violence done as one of the deacons of the early church, Stephen, was stoned to death. But, as you guys know, if you read Acts, Paul was changed by God, wasn't he? Jesus Christ personally came to Paul while Paul was traveling to Damascus to continue to persecute the followers of Jesus. And Christ revealed to Paul that he, Jesus, is indeed the Son of God. He is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the one God's been promising. Jesus, in fact, is risen from the dead. Jesus showed Paul, hey, guess what? I died and I'm alive right now. That's a big deal. And from that time forward, Paul went forth as an apostle. He had met Jesus, he had seen the risen Jesus, and he was sent out by the risen Jesus with a message and with authority. Also in verse 1, by the way, Paul tells us, Timothy, our brother, is with him. He's involved somehow with this letter. Now, Timothy probably didn't have much to do with the actual composition of the letter, It's still very kind of Paul to include this young protege of his in his greeting to the church. And it would have prepared the Colossians. Because if they ever see Timothy, if they ever meet Timothy, they know from this verse that Timothy also carries the same message Paul does. Now, what did Paul call Timothy again? I'm seeing if you're paying attention. What did he call Timothy? Our brother, right? And that tells us something about the relationship that believers have to each other. In fact, as Paul addresses the letter, he uses family language for the recipients of the letter. He says in verse 2 that this letter is to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, by the way, saints don't get hung up on that word as if they were just goody-goody all the time. They're just saints. The idea is they're people that have been set apart by God. Every church Every Christian is a saint. Uh, Maybe we're not great ones, but we're set apart by God. And he calls them faithful brothers. Now, Paul's writing to a church in one specific city in in Asia Minor. He calls the people faithful brothers. He wants us to see that if we've been brought into God's family by the grace of Christ, we are united to one another as family. And right here, just stop. Let's do a little application, even before we talk about the points. Ask yourself, how does your relationship with other believers reflect the relationship of a family member? Are you committed to other Christians the way that you should be committed to blood relatives? Do, do, you, do you care for others? Really care? Do you sacrifice your comforts for the good of others? Do you help others? Do you rejoice when good things happen for others? And do you sorrow when sad things happen to others in the body? Because God calls us family. And he unites us as family. And we should treat each other the way a good family treats each other. Now, 
Paul's letter was going to the church in the city of Colossae, and I'm not going to spend time giving you a ton of demographics of that city, but for now you need to know that it was a city with, like I said, many different kinds of people and many different backgrounds and beliefs. The church in that city, by the way, also included the church that met in the home of Philemon. That, In fact, most scholars believe that the Colossian letter and the Philemon letter were carried by the same guy. And we're going to see, as we study this book, that the church in Colossae was at least a little bit in danger of being influenced by the philosophies around it. And so there's some things that Paul needs to urge them to be careful with, to correct. Next, Paul greets the church with a blessing. Grace to you, peace from God our Father. This was really common in early letters, right? I mean, grace means a gift of favor that you didn't earn. Peace, to be in a relationship where there's no longer hostility, that's the result of us receiving the grace of God. So here Paul is telling this church, I want you guys to experience fully the goodness of God and the work of Christ. But now, before we move on from the greeting, let me challenge us to just one thought here, though we could talk about so much more. Paul wrote this letter as an apostle. He emphasizes that position back in verse 1. And you and I need to know that this is extremely significant. If Paul is writing this letter as an apostle, he is writing with the authority of Jesus Christ. He's writing with the authority of God. In truth, what we read as we read this book, what we study as we study this book, is the genuine, perfect, infallible voice of God. That you have to understand. And it brings us to the point that we're making here, to hear the voice of God in his word. Listen closely, Christians. The Bible is the revelation of God. If you ever want to truly know our God, you have to know his word. If you ever want to hear the voice of God, you must hear it in his word. If you want to know the will of God, you must learn it from the Bible. Paul wrote as an apostle. Paul, in calling himself that, was saying to us, I'm writing the authoritative word of God. And what do we do with that claim? What do you do with that claim? Well, ask yourself, does it matter if you know what God says? What do you think? Does that matter? I would hope so. I mean, it must. You cannot follow God or please God without hearing his instructions. And what I'm saying to you is those instructions are found here in the written word of God. And you may ask, but what about other things? Other sources of knowing God besides the Word. What about really wild supernatural experiences or revelations or visions or feelings or whatever else, right? Because there's a lot of people that have a lot of experiences out there, aren't there? The truth is, many people have claimed to hear from God in ways that are not the Bible. And I cannot tell you why they've experienced what they've experienced. I 
can't tell you why all of you have experienced all that you've experienced. But I can tell you this. There is only one way for you to know for sure that what you hear is the voice of God with the will of God. And that way is through the Bible rightly understood and rightly applied. And that's why I implore you to hear the voice of God in his word. So before we move on, take time to think about how do you see the Bible? When you look at the Bible, what do you see? And what can you do in your life for you to better see the Bible as the voice of God? How should that change the way that you look at the world around you? How can you treasure the Word of God more and more and more? Why is it that the Bible is more sure, more solid, more stable, more trustworthy than anything you've ever seen or anything you've ever felt? or anything you've ever experienced. Because Christians, the Bible's the Word of God. Everything else I've ever experienced, and everything else you've ever experienced is questionable. But the Bible's solid. Hear the voice of God in His Word. Now, second point, once we start diving into the greeting a little further. Thank God for believers and for the hope of the gospel. Verses 3 through 5. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Now, have you ever wondered about the phenomenon of social media? Again, going back to techie things, right? Where are you on the continuum? Do you love Facebook or think it's the dumbest thing ever made? Which one is it? In the middle? Dumb thing. I use it all the time, right? Do you, do you even know what Twitter is? By the way, the author of our book that we're studying, Unpacking Forgiveness, actually uh, sent a tweet our way this morning saying he was glad to hear that we were studying this uh, together. I just think that's cool that, you know, this author we're never going to meet is saying, neat, I'm glad you guys are doing that. And then he was really excited to know we're preaching through Colossians. So uh, that's kind of fun to see that. All of us can admit, though, can't we, that good and bad things can come out of the Internet? That's true, isn't it? I mean, if Facebook is misused, it does all sorts of damage. I did see a guy say the other day that he thinks Facebook is very useful just so he can look up and see how ugly his classmates have gotten. But I, I don't think that was nice. I just thought it was funny. Don't judge me. But there's one thing that I've noticed over the past several months that makes me really love that I'm on Facebook and I've got an account and I've got friends, and that is prayer. When I told people we were moving to Las Vegas, I asked them to pray for us. And you know what? They did. People prayed for our transition out of Columbia, Illinois. They prayed for our house to sell, which it did, by the way, by the grace of God. And in fact, our closing was Thursday. We closed. I mean, I don't own a home anymore. So praise God for that. Uh, 
People prayed that we would be safe while we traveled out here. They prayed we'd find a place to live. They prayed for you as a church. Now, you've got to admit, you've got to admit, knowing that people you've never met have been praying for you makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? That's not a new phenomenon, though, because right here in Colossians, Paul says to the Colossian church, I'm praying for you guys. And get this, Paul never met them either. He had never been to Colossae. He didn't know the people in that church, but he heard about them and he prayed for them. And he says, guys, when I pray for you, I always thank God for you, for what God has done in your life. And now, we can only brush past this really quickly here. We'll touch it more later. When Paul says, I thank God, what does he call God in your Bible? God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, later in this book, as we study it more, we're going to see that the Colossians were in danger of being influenced by people who said Jesus is less than God. But right here, right here, even in the greeting letters, Part of the letter, Paul ties Jesus to God in such a way as to declare that Jesus is not a little miniature sub-deity, but Jesus is God's Son, God the Son, God in flesh. And that's going to come out more and more. But it's even interesting right here, because as soon as he says God, he has to say, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, so that he elevates and ties Jesus right in there to the person of God. Now, what did Paul thank God for when he prayed for the Colossians? It's interesting because there are three words that are really familiar. In fact, if I say the first two, you'll get the last one. Because Paul thanked them, thanked God for the Colossians in the areas of faith, hope, and... There's faith, hope, and... You guys know, right? Chickens don't say things out loud. (laughs) Paul says he's been thanking God for them since we heard of your faith. In Christ Jesus. See, ever since Paul heard that the people in Colossae had had genuine saving faith in Jesus, he has been grateful to God. And what does it mean? What does faith in Christ Jesus mean? This is what we call the gospel. This is what we call the good news. And whether you are an older saint here, more seasoned, if you will, or whether you're young here, you can get this. You see, the Bible has one big story that it tells over and over again. God made you. But you and I, we have not followed God or God's ways perfectly. We've all rebelled against God. We've all fought against God in one way or another. And we all deserve to have God judge us and punish us for going against Him. But Jesus Christ... God's very Son, God in the flesh, came to earth so that He could rescue God's children from God's judgment. And Jesus lived and died to provide a perfect sacrifice for our wrongs. And Jesus rose from the dead on the third day to prove to everybody that there is a way, one way to be forgiven by God. And Jesus makes it clear that anybody who will turn away from their sin and put their trust in Jesus will be forgiven. And that turning away from sin and that putting your trust in Jesus is the faith that Paul says he was glad the Colossians had. That's not even complicated, is it? So, do you 
have faith in Jesus, the kind of thing he's talking about here. Have you believed that God made you? Have you believed that you've never lived up to God's perfection no matter how hard you try? That's an easy one, isn't it? Anybody in this room as perfect as God? Let's not claim that one. Have you believed that Jesus died to pay for your failings? Have you believed that Jesus is alive even now? Did you decide that you would rather follow God than rule your own life yourself? Have you asked Jesus to rescue you from your sin? Is all of your hope for all of your eternity set completely in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? If so, then you have the faith that Paul's talking about here. Now, Paul also commends the Colossians for having love for all the saints. Faith, love. Now, we mentioned earlier, so we won't do much with this, Christians are all part of one family. We're all one body. We are. We're supposed to love each other probably more than you actually do love your family if you have brothers or sisters. And that means that we need to have a great commitment to each other's good in all things. But then finally, in this section, Paul says that he has been giving thanks, all this stuff he's been giving thanks for, is because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Something about the faith of the Colossians and the love of the Colossians is based on and flows out of the hope that the Colossians have. And what this means is that the gospel that influences the Colossians is not just a here and now thing. There is an eschatological hope. There is a forever future hope for the Colossians, and it somehow brings out of them faith and love. So, part of genuine faith in Jesus is the knowledge that Jesus has not left us here alone to fend for ourselves in an endless and hopeless task. There will come a day when Jesus returns. There will come a day when the Lord Jesus sets right what has gone wrong in this sin-covered world. There will come a day when the Lord Jesus is going to be seen by all and He will judge those who opposed Him and He will be glorified by those who have been forgiven by Him. That is part of the Gospel. Later in the book, beginning in chapter 3, Paul's going to encourage the Colossians to set your minds on things above. Now he's not telling the Colossians, have this high in the sky, head in the clouds, unawareness of the hardships of life. Instead, Paul's calling for them to battle through the hardships and to battle through the struggles and to battle through the difficulties of the world around them. And the way to do it is to set your hearts on the hope. Set your hope firmly in the person and work of Christ Jesus. And that includes the sure promise that he's coming back to rule the world forever. Paul says, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. 
Paul knows that the Colossians know what he's been teaching. He knows they've got an accurate understanding of the gospel. He knows they know about faith in Jesus, love for others, and the eternal hope of the promise of forever with Jesus. And this has caused Paul to be grateful to God for the work that he did in the lives of the Colossians. And so again I ask, what do we do with that truth? If you're a Christian, thank God for two things. Thank God for believers and thank God for the hope of the gospel. Be grateful to God for other believers who are with you on the journey of life. Can you imagine doing this life by yourself? You wouldn't do it well. You need the church. You need brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what do you do? Love those people. Help those people. Help fellow Christians. Pray for them, just like Paul prayed for the church in Colossae. And, and believers, be grateful to God for the gospel. Be grateful that God chose to grant you salvation in Christ. I mean, if God did not come to you and say to you, I will rescue you if you'll come to me. And if God hadn't drawn you to himself, you would have been lost forever. But because of the person and work of Jesus, you are, you can be forgiven by God and have hope forever. And you can let that hope give you courage and strength in the here and now. And if by any chance you're here this morning and you're not sure where you stand before Jesus, I urge you, let go of control of your life as you know it. Put your trust in Jesus and become a child of God. And if you need help to know how to do that, come talk to me afterwards or come talk to one of the elders and we'll help you get started. Third point, final point for this morning. Join God in his work of spreading the gospel. And that's going to be verses 6 to 8. Speaking of the gospel, he says, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, I want to help you understand Paul a little bit. It'll also help you understand me a little bit, by the way. You ever met one of those people, talked to one of these people, who has a knack from finding ways to jump from topic to topic to topic. I mean, every time a new subject comes up, they just bounce off to something new. And then they somehow swing back to the beginning. So, like, you're talking to somebody about baseball. Do any of you talk to anybody about baseball, by the way? If you don't, you should. <laughs> you're talking to somebody about baseball. But, see, baseball makes that person think of the baseball field and the, the beautiful green grass that's on that field, which makes them think about their yard, which only has rocks, which makes them think of a rock quarry they visited once. And the quarry, of course, makes them think of Fred Flintstone, the cartoon character who worked in a quarry. And then Fred Flintstone helps them think of Freddie Freeman, the first baseman of the Atlanta Braves. And just like that, you've gone from baseball to bedrock before coming back again. You know anybody like that? You do. Now, Paul's not quite that bad. But readers of the New Testament will often find 
that Paul will let a word launch him into talking about its related topic before he swings back and gets where he was going. And here, he was just talking about, man, I am so grateful to you guys, and I'm grateful that you, your faith and your hope and your love, well, that's there in the gospel. And then when he says gospel, he just can't help it. He's got to point out the gospel is spreading and bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Isn't that cool? And here's what's really cool. The fascinating thing about Paul's joy in the spread of the gospel is that Paul was at that very moment imprisoned for preaching the gospel. Paul, my guess is that he was in Rome during his first Roman imprisonment when he wrote this letter. He was definitely in prison. We just can't say for sure where. I would guess that he's in prison in Rome somewhere between 60 and 61 A.D. And he's waiting to be tried before Caesar for preaching the gospel. And in the middle of all that, even though Paul's not a free man, he's able to rejoice because he's sharing the gospel with people and seeing people come to faith in Jesus, even the people who were holding him captive. Because when you are chained by a chain and fetters to an apostle, they preach to you. And Paul said, this is fun. These poor guys have to come guard me and I tell them about Jesus. And some of them are believing. And I rejoice in that. See, Paul knew that the message of Jesus was changing lives all over the world. And even the Colossians, whom Paul had never met personally, they received the good news of salvation in Jesus And it was kind of because of Paul. Because, see, Paul preached and probably Epaphras heard him, maybe over in the city of Ephesus, about 120 miles away. Maybe, maybe. But Epaphras heard the gospel and then he he heard it and, and then he took it back home to Colossae and he told the people in Colossae the truth that he had heard about Jesus and the people in Colossae believed and they were saved by God. And Paul said, this is good. And he calls Epaphras a faithful servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ. And Paul says, man, this is a good guy. He has been spreading the message of Jesus to other people. And the people that Epaphras has been talking to have been believing. And now Epaphras has gone back to Paul and found him in prison. And he's told Paul about what all's going on in the new church in Colossae. And Paul knows about the church's faith and hope and love because of what Epaphras has been able to tell them. Because of what Epaphras heard from Paul and he took to the people and the people took back to Paul. This is cool. And again, I say, what do we do with that? Well, join God in God's work of spreading the gospel. I mean, do what we see Epaphras do. He heard the gospel. He believed the gospel. And then he made sure that he told other people about the gospel so they might hear it and believe it too. Friends, listen to me. There is only one way for any person on earth to be forgiven. They have to hear the message of Jesus, turn from their sins, and believe in Jesus. And as we learn in Romans 10, 14 to 17, they will never believe unless somebody goes to them and tells them. So here's what you do. Pray right now. 
Pray as you think back over this passage. How, God, might you let me join you in telling others the message of Jesus? Who can I tell? Can you think of anybody right now that needs the gospel that you know? Can you think of anybody that that you might just sit down with and say, Hey, I'm not trying to impose on you. Can I tell you something that I believe is true and very important? In fact, here, I'll give you a cheap way to do it. You ready? As your pastor, I'm giving you homework. Your homework assignment is to communicate the gospel to somebody and then just ask them this question. Does what I said to you make sense? Or how could I help make it more understandable? So here's what you do. This week, with somebody you know, don't steal time from your employer, find another time. Say, hey, I got a homework assignment in church. Would you help me with my homework? What are your friends going to say to you? Sure, why not? Okay, here's what I have to do. I need to explain to you what we believe about how people are saved from their sins. And I just want you to tell me, does it make sense? I would be willing to bet you right now that three out of four, maybe even nine out of ten of the people that you would say that to would say, I'll listen. And they'll even help you present it better by the end of the day. If you need to practice, grab a Christian and say, let me tell you, here's the story. God made us. He's perfect. We rebelled against God. We deserve His judgment. Jesus died to rescue God's children. And anybody who will turn from their sins and trust in Jesus will be forgiven. Those who won't are judged. They'll let you do it if you try. Pray about it, okay? How can you join God in the mission of taking the gospel to the people? Now, as we wrap up this morning, we've heard the beginnings of a sweet New Testament letter. Paul writes this letter with the authority of God. He magnifies Jesus. He shows us the beauty of the good news of the gospel. He shows brotherly love between Christians. And he even shows us how great it is when one believer takes the good news of Jesus to other people so that they can believe too. And if you're a believer here today, what should you do? Hear the voice of God in his word. And so Christians, right there, develop a bigger, a a higher view of the Bible because the Bible is the very voice of God. Would you like to hear the voice of God? Read your Bible. Would you like to hear the voice of God audibly? Read it out loud. Christians, thank God for other believers. Let that strengthen your commitment to the church. And thank God for the eternal hope of the gospel. Don't don't get stuck with only thinking about the ugliness of this life right now. Know that Jesus is going to win. And let that give you hope that spreads to faith and love. And join God in the work of spreading the gospel to people who don't yet believe. And if you're here this morning and somehow you've come to this place without yet knowing Jesus... I urge you to hear the message we've been presenting. Jesus will forgive people who come to him in genuine faith. Believe that you need his mercy. 
Let go of the idea that you're the owner of your life. You can't captain your own life. Ask Jesus to have mercy on you and commit yourself to follow him from now on because that is the only hope we have for salvation and that is the only hope we have for an eternal future. Let's bow together in prayer, would you? As our worship leaders come back up here, we're just going to bow and talk to God for a minute. Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the message of Jesus. I thank you for other brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for your word. I thank you for hope. Jesus, I thank you that you promised to come back and set things right. And here's what we need, Lord. We need you to do things only you can do. Whatever that is. If it's saving souls, only you can do that. If it's bringing other believers to our church, only you can do that. If it's meeting our needs so that we can glorify you, only you can do that. If it's helping us see your word as authoritative word of God, only you can help us see your word rightly. Help us do all those things so that we might please you in all that we do. Forgive us our sins. Save our souls. Draw us close. Make us what you want us to be. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.